0: Welcome to On the Spectrum Podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Nick. And uh, before we get started, I just wanted to give a little disclaimer. Nick and I do not claim to be experts in anything. We're just here to have fun and talk about some stuff. Uh, Hopefully, we don't say anything that offends you. Um, But if we do, let us know. We'll try to do better.
1: And if they listen to the first three episodes of this podcast, they probably did. Okay.
0: Uh, Today, we have a special guest. It's Shay Belsky. Uh, he is here to talk a little bit about his experience and a company that he's a, a part of. So, um, Shay, thank you for being here. Thanks.
2: Thank you, both for, thank you both for having me. I'm super excited to be here, talk about my company, Mentra, talk about autistic comedians, maybe, and just have fun. Thanks for having me.
0: You're welcome. We're glad to have you. Absolutely. So um, before we we delve into uh, the the company, and all of that. Why don't you tell us about your journey, so to speak, with uh autism? When did you find out or when did you get a diagnosis?
2: So I'm in the rare group of people that was diagnosed at a pretty young age. I find that most of the people I talk to are either self-diagnosed or got a diagnosis when they were adult where they were when they were an adult. Yeah. But I was um I guess you could say fortunate enough to have been diagnosed when I was very early. Um, my parents and people in my family identified that there was something a little bit going on at a very early point in my life. I read brought to specialists, and I got a diagnosis at about two or three years old. But from my understanding, that's less common than it is common. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in the public school system. I had an IEP. I had physical therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy. Um, my parents fought tooth and nail to make sure that nothing ever got taken away from my IEP. I had a one-on-one. I just really went for the whole public school system as an autistic individual. And you can imagine how that, how that was a turbulent time for me. Um, I learned a lot. I grew a lot, but as, as someone who wasn't really quite sure what was going on, Mm -hmm. I was definitely the brunt of some bullying as time went on, that got less and less. And I remember like, one of my like elementary school bullies coming up to me and being like, hey, I was quite a jerk when I was in elementary school, so I'm sorry. And I'm like, don't worry about it, dude. We didn't like become best friends after that. Right. But at least he was like, yeah, I know I was kind of not the nicest person in the world, and I appreciated that at the time. And I was in, I was in the right state of mind to appreciate that. Good. Um, I graduated high school. I went to Cornell University, which was also a whole daunting experience. I graduated with my degree in information science, Information science is like why we create products, why we create software, Mm -hmm. whereas computer science is more about like, how do we do it? What I study is more about like the why and the what. Um, I started working for Wayfair in the Boston area. That was my first job out of college. I was at Wayfair when the COVID-19 pandemic hit. And that was a very interesting time for Wayfair when everybody was asking me, I need to get furniture or a desk for my home because I'm (laughs) stuck here. Right. So like everybody asking me for discounts, I think I could, I could get a discount on Wayfair stuff. So like everybody wanted like twenty five percent off, thirty percent off. I once got like a thousand dollars off of something, which was crazy. Uh, oh. I worked for HubSpot after that. HubSpot's like a content platform, a okay. CRM, helping helping businesses do their business.
1: Oh, okay.
2: Um, and now I work for Mentra. Mentra is a neurodiversity hiring platform for job seekers who are neurodivergent people who are autistic, ADHD, dyslexic, epileptic, anything that would you would consider neurodivergent. Um, we support those kinds of job seekers, people who are looking for work. And then we also support uh, agencies or partners who operate on behalf of job seekers. If you're a staffing agency, if you're a vocational rehab organization, if you are just working on behalf of someone as like a therapist or anything, then you can join the platform and help Your job seekers with their individual journeys. And that's where I am today. Nice. Uh, About how many people
1: do you guys have using uh, the Mentra website?
2: We have about 25,000 job seekers right now. And to be honest, social media is a big part of that. One thing that we try very hard to emphasize is the fact that this is a platform built by neurodivergent people for neurodivergent people. I'm autistic. Um, my COO is autistic. Our CEO is autistic and has ADHD. A lot of people who work for the company are neurodivergent themselves or are extremely close supporters and advocates for them. For instance, our new, um, head of customer success, um, our new customer success manager, I'm sorry. She used to run a, um, job placement agency for autistic job seekers. So, um, we just have a lot of people close to our close to the fold. If that makes any sense,
1: yeah, it's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. Um, so, like I told you before, we went on. Um, I've actually been to your website and I created an account and all that. I actually found a lot of the questions rather interesting uh, because you guys really go that extra mile of identifying what differences or not necessarily accommodations, but how would it make the work environment more comfortable for you. Because you actually ask questions directly of like, well, do you need less noise? Do you need somebody to help you out? Do you need more clear instructions? Do you need written instructions or verbal instructions? Like there was just a lot of extra questions that I thought was really nice because you're taking into account that everybody different in that way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. One of the very important things about Mentra is that we sort of prompt people, we sort of inspire them to ask themselves questions they may Mm. not have asked themselves before. You as a neurodivergent person may know subconsciously that I struggle in a loud environment, in a bright environment, in a smelly environment, just for example, but you may not have ever like said those words out loud. Right. So on Mentra, when you say, like, are there any environments where you cannot be the most successful that makes people stop and think, oh wow, I've never it explicitly, because then we take that information and we then match you with jobs where you have a compatible environment. For instance, if you say, I can't work in a noisy environment, you might not be the best fit for something which involves a lot of noise, like a sound production thing or anything where you're working with a lot of people, for instance. Um, On the flip side, then we do also ask you for strengths and talents about yourself that you bring to the table which are, un- are unique aspects of neurodiversity, and then we match you with jobs which are really looking for people who have those sorts of strengths, whether it's simpler things like pattern recognition or working with people, mm-hmm. or whether it's something much more about your hard skills, things that you learned or things that you know that you have acquired over time. Right. We try to look at an individual's holistic profile mm-hmm. and also consider the fact that lots of neurodivergent people may not have a traditional four-year education. They may not have right. any high school experience. Some people may have dropped out. And but they still have a certificates. They go to boot camps. They do other sorts of intensive training programs that supplant that traditional experience. Mm-hmm. And then we match people with jobs based off of everything. Traditional job sites or traditional recruiters, you look at it, someone's profile or their resume, if they didn't have college and it goes into garbage, it oh, yeah. doesn't apply to us. Oh, yeah. We-
0: <laughs> so how do you um- the companies that you uh, recruit for, um, how does it work with them? Like, how do you prepare them? Uh, is it, like, are there s- certain types of businesses that partner with you guys? Like, how does that
2: work? So we actually ask employers similar questions that we ask the job seekers because it's mm. a similar thing for them. We prompt them to say, "What makes you a neuroinclusive organization? Why should an autistic, ADHD, dyslexic, what have you, person want to work at your company?" Because until, because they don't really have a chance to sell themselves in that department anywhere else. Right. So a big part of their job profile or their employer profile is what makes this job or this company a good fit for somebody who is neurodivergent, whether that's mentorship, whether that's upskilling opportunities, whether that's like really bending over backwards for accommodations requests, whether that's training for managers about neurodiversity, we allow employers to sort of sell themselves in those departments. And then if they're, know they want to get better at it, but they are not there right now. We do also work with them to provide training opportunities from our side. So we sort of like embed in those organizations to help them level up in their own way. So whether they're, they're already or they want to be there, we are a very important part of supporting them to become more neuroinclusive, which is something that I think a lot of companies miss when <laughs> they say, oh, we want to hire a million neurodivergent people, <laughs> but I really don't know how.
0: Or they think they know
2: what they're doing, but maybe they're not sure. They're not prepared
0: to actually, um, you know, they're not prepared to actually handle or deal with people who, if they're not, if they don't have the experience or they're not used to dealing with neurodivergent people, they they may not be prepared for that.
2: Yes. Like, one thing that I think comes up very often in neurodiversity is that if you come to a, if you start working for a company in a vacuum of neurodiversity and you tell your manager, I am autistic, ADHD, whatever they're going to have a very unique understanding of what it means to be autistic or ADHD, whatever, Mm -hmm. because basically everybody knows somebody else who's neurodivergent. It doesn't have to be autism specifically. They can know somebody who has ADHD or dyslexia epilepsy, whatever. And so if you come up to your manager and say, I'm autistic and walk away, they're going to, they're going to project whatever they know about autism onto you. Oh yeah. Unless you, unless you very clearly specify the terms of your autism, which sounds very formal. But when I talk about my, in, in the past, when I've talked about my autism to my managers, I've said, hey, manager, I am autistic. And what that means is, da 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 Like right. I specify very clearly, this is what autism means to me. And this is what I need your help with specifically. And here's what I would ask that you not hold me to the fire for <laughs> in these specific areas. Yeah. And I can't stop them 100% of the time, but at least it equips them and it sort of empowers them to support me. Because right. otherwise, they think I'm just sheltered for Big Bang Theory or Rain Man or some other <laughs> yeah. harmful stereotype, right. and that gets me nowhere.
0: Yeah, um, I know. We've talked about it on the show before. But I've I've had a lot of issues at previous uh, companies that I worked for with them on being understanding, and um, you know, some of the even if I've explained to them that some of the behaviors that I that I do that they don't like, I've tried to apologize for it or explain myself, but it doesn't always seem to really matter or really work. Um, So it's nice that, you know, you you guys are matching people up with companies that are more willing to be understanding or
1: or to try to include people like us. Yeah, I mean, I will say that until, until the concept of all human beings need to be accepted as the individual that they are until then. I don't think, you know, anybody's going to have truly a, a, an easy go at finding a work environment or having a work environment. And I actually only say that because like I recently have started talking about it at work, uh, about being autistic. Cause I do a podcast that can be heard, you know, by anybody at any time. So I figure I might as well be open about it. And when I was talking to, uh, the other clinical supervisor, her reaction was, so how does that change things? And I went, well, you may notice things a little bit more now that you know, and here's how things kind of work for me. Because a lot of the things that people mostly see, because I'm kind of, I'm rather high masking. uh, And most of the time, the things are just little verbal cues that people kind of see sometimes, or they assume there's attitude in me that there's not, they're just trying to read my face and Yep, come on. Um, but there, and I kind of said to her, "If you ever have a question at any moment whatsoever, if you think that I may have a mood of any type, just ask. I need yep. you to ask and not assume anything emotionally from me." Yep. It,
2: I see a career coach, and mm. between him and I, I say to him, "Listen, like he knows I'm not virgin. There's no secret there." And I said to him, "Like, listen, as we talk, I may go off on a tangent and ramble and not give you anything to work with." And I tell him, like, I, I am empowering you right now to just sort of, like, yank me back to the center and just, like, keep me on track. And you are not going to hurt my feelings. You're not going to, like, get me upset at all. This is just something I know about myself. So, like, I am empowering you, and I'm giving you the keys to the car. Do this. He was, like, the tricker you, pull, yeah. And it's helpful for him because it keeps me accountable, so right. I do it less frequently. But also, like, he feels empowered, and he knows exactly sort of the terms of our mm-hmm. relationship in that regard. Right. And to your point about like defining what the relationship means, like, well, what changes? Sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes it can be a couple things. Like when I was at wafer, I told I had, I had five managers in one year. That was a whole mess. But for each manager I told, I would say like, because I am autistic, I struggle in these areas and this is where I need your help. Like, Becoming a more confident individual in these areas mm-hmm. could be, like, public speaking or, like, working independently or things like that. And these are things that any, like, fresh college graduate will go into. Of course. But I felt especially kind of frustrated by these things.
0: Right. So, so Wayfair, how do they get the
1: kids into the boxes? Oh, wow. Wow. I'm kidding. No, wow. I
2: haven't heard that one in a while.
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sorry. I'm All right. You're lightening up the mood, are you? Yeah. All right. um, I, didn't know, I didn't know if you would get offended. I, I had like that. a
2: lot of people like who seriously believed that that was a thing, and I said, uh, "No, that's not a thing." Oh, it was also it was... really funny. It was like as, when I worked at Wayfair. Um, I could sort of like, I understood more about like how they named the products. I don't remember it now, but like some of them just pull things out of the sky. Sometimes the suppliers, most of the time the suppliers tell us the names of those products. We don't necessarily decide what they are unless like we sell them. Right. And I believe that that whole issue was around supplier products and they named themselves. And I think people just. It was was a conspiracy theory.
0: I don't know if you heard about that. There was a conspiracy. All these crazy people thought that they were like human trafficking. Kids through Wayfair, no, I don't know, whatever. Wow, so that's why I didn't. I made made a joke, but I didn't know if you were going to get offended by
2: that. <laughs> people seriously believed it. It was really weird. Um, so you weren't
0: offended by the joke, okay?
2: No, like hmm. like it's 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 just something I slept under the rug for so long. What was weirder was, um, also during 2020, when I think Wayfair was in the midst of supplying uh, bedding supplies mm-hmm. to the uh, immigrant border camps at the US's sovereign border and that was frustrating because like and it's also is a frustrating moral question like Wayfair doesn't necessarily support the existence of them but also like do you not want people to have beds down there if they have to be stuck there right Um, damn if you do damn if you don't
1: right because either way, you're making a stance of either it looks like you're supporting the camp itself, not supporting the people. And then on the flip side of that, if you don't support, if you don't make an association or a connection there, then it looks like you're saying F those people.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. actually, there was that was actually a really like, productive conversation within Wayfair. Because mm-hmm. the first question was like, do we as Wayfair, um, are we the arbiters? Can we be the arbiters of who we do business with? Are we allowed to say yes or no to people we do business with? Um, and that sort of kicked off a process that lasted a year. We there was like an internal council that was formed, and the outcome was that like in the future we do reserve the right to choose not to sell to people if we're doing something explicitly illegal or explicitly harmful for the world, or something right. that's like objectively terrible. Yeah, this is one of those great areas. But like, if if we're selling to a country that's like actively at war or waging genocide, then absolutely not. Right. Um, that yeah. also came up with HubSpot recently too, because I think HubSpot. They were selling. I think there was an internal discussion. I think one of the customers of HubSpot was doing something that was also like an um, immorally gray area. I can't remember what it was, but it was the same area. Like, does Hub? Can we as HubSpot choose not to do business with a certain company based on what they do? And the answer, there was a similar outcome to there. It's like yes, if it's like objectively illegal or object, objectively unethical, it has to be like very crystal clear.
0: No, mm. well, I think some companies were refusing to do business with the Chinese government because of. Some of the human rights violations and things going on over there.
1: Yep. Yeah.
2: One thing that also happened at Wayfair was, I think, after the 2020 election, they pulled a lot of the products by uh, My Pillow.
0: Mm. And yeah. Yeah, we, I got
2: like a lot of a lot of random people on LinkedIn reach out to me. I can't believe you take these products off the air. I'm not going to go into the politics of it right now. Right. But I got a lot of people reaching out to me, like just a random person on LinkedIn being like, oh my God, I can't believe you took these products off Wayfair. I'm going to stop buying there. Here's the funny part. Someone said they're going to, I'm going to stop going to Wayfair. I'm going to buy my stuff at All Modern. And All Modern is a subsidiary of Wayfair. And ah. people seem to know that. So like, I'm going to go do business at All Modern. And we're like, like okay, okay, thanks.
1: Yeah, yeah all right. It's
2: the same site. You're using my password. It's going to be the same too. And you're going to be like, why is it the same? I'm mm-hmm. sorry
0: if I brought us on a weird tangent
1: no that's all right i mean tangents are what we're known for uh it's it's what we do but i do want to round you back to to mentor a little bit so yes. you guys uh are relatively new how long have you guys been in operation for
2: uh about a year and a quarter now since march of last year
1: okay that's awesome so whose idea was it to come up with mentor i mean i can only imagine any of us who are neurodiverse have have had the idea of like i really wish there was a way for me to find a job that would be more equitable for me or or uh, better for me. But who kind of came up with the idea for Mentra?
2: Mentra came to be as a result of our CEO, Jilika Kumar. She has an older brother who is non-speaking autistic. His name mm-hmm. is Vikram Kumar. He does not speak the way that we are, but he can communicate with a letter board and a tablet. For most of his life, he could not communicate at all, flat out. And then at some point, he came to have a letterboard tablet, and it was discovered that he could communicate in seven languages, which is six more than I can do. He uh-huh. could write brilliant poetry and was very well-spoken, very well-spoken, uh, lack of a better word. Yeah. He was a really great communicator. And it was understood that he was an extremely brilliant individual. Just the way society perceived someone who is nonverbal was a very damaging perception, a very damaging uh, look. Yeah. And Jillica was inspired to begin something that would hopefully eventually one day create either create a company or create a world where her older brother could eventually seek gainful employment and be lead an independent life. And that was sort of how Mentra came to be. And that was like late 2019. I came into Mentra early 2020, February, February 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, which had, I mean was interesting because of sort of the pandemic where the world was sort of like really starting to fall apart around me. Right. And I began to sink time into mentors. Like it's a pure hobby project, very much like a side thing, a volunteering thing. I gave time when I had free time after the work day, or before the work day. Um, it was very much a free thing just for a little bit. And then it started to pick up steam and steam. We won grants. We won awards. We won a grant with the federal government. We won an award with Microsoft. Um, and then in March of 2020, March of 2022, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. we got our uh, pre-seed round funded. And fun fact, the individual who ra- raised our pre-seed round was Sam Altman, who runs OpenAI.
1: Oh, okay. I have no mm-hmm. idea what OpenAI is. ChatGPT. What?
2: <laughs> yeah, ChatGPT
0: Chat GPT is that.
1: Um- oh, oh, the the type out your papers for you thing. Yeah. Yes. Nick is not uh, um,
0: as into tech as it's okay. I'm, I'm more such an guy. old man.
1: I'm yeah. such. A, okay. I'm, only, I'm only in my early 40s, but yet I feel like I'm an 80 year old man every time yeah. I talk to this dude about anything.
0: I actually I use I use Chat GPT,
1: but I don't use we it actually,
0: to cheat on papers. But
2: we are actually slowly beginning to implement Chat GPT <laughs> in OpenAI's products as part <clears throat> of our stuff in ways that are ethical. Because one thing is very important for neurodiversity is like mm-hmm. a lot of neurodivergent folks have been burnt out bad by organizations or companies or big tech products that take advantage of their data and sell them somewhere. So it's very important for us to do this carefully in a way that respects people's privacy, but still gives them value out of what we're trying to do. Like we don't sell anyone's data ever. And we never will. I don't want to.
1: I'm appreciative of that.
0: Does it offend you? And is it appropriation that chat GPT
1: speaks like us? Oh wow. I'm Well, <laughs> it was a joke. It was actually a joke. But if you want to answer that in a serious way, you're more than welcome to. Well, it's interesting
2: to. too because, like, I think I saw this on I saw this online somewhere. But one of the important hallmarks of like noticing if something is written by ChatGPT is the capital letter test. Because by default, ChatGPT and other generative AI will have impeccable grammar. They mm-hmm. won't write bad grammar unless you tell it to. So you could hypothetically tell it to write with bad grammar or bad spelling to get around that. Yeah. But. I have noticed that when I've used ChatGPT, it is always like a very, it's not like succinct, but it's not like flowery either. It tells you what you need to know and the context and that's kind of it. But like the grammar is on point, spelling is on point. So I feel like if you ever wanted to get around if something's written by ChatGPT or not, or like BARD or whatever the new one is, mm-hmm. um, just tell it to write like with weird spelling and weird grammar.
1: I would. I would be interested to find out if I could just say, hey, chat GPT, write me a paper, but make it sound like I'm a third grader. and Well,
2: yes, you can actually ask chat GPT to write something from like a certain like reading level. Oh, well, that's what's really cool. Like assume that I wow. am in like fifth grade English school, help explain this or like explain this concept to me as if I was a fifth grader and it will do that. It'll like. You could explain. I don't know if you could explain quantum mechanics to a ten-year-old. It'll make it as simple as it can. But it, like, explain the Pythagorean theorem to a ten-year-old. Like that, you could do. Wow. Um, yeah. Or other like scientific concepts. It breaks things down in a way where it understands it and can explain it. And wow. One thing that we're developing. One thing that we're going back and forth on within my company is like the fact that it's generative, it's not just a chatbot, it's not just Mm -hmm. like if they ask us this question, respond with this text, we are creating something from thin air. And then the other side of that as well is the idea called prompt engineering. Mm -hmm. Prompt engineering is the idea of what do we need to train or prompt these generative AIs on to create something that is beneficial. So for instance, like for Mentra, we are working on developing meaningful and, and respectful and private prompts for our job seekers. That way they gain value out of it. Right. Specific to them. Because otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. It has true. to be meaningful and pertinent to them. Otherwise, they could just go on ChatGPT themselves and do it.
1: True.
2: And we actually use ChatGPT, just the regular ChatGPT as well. Um Every week or so, we host office hours for our job seekers. where They can come in and ask interview questions. They have questions about their profiles. I need help writing a resume or a cover letter. And we use ChatGPT with our job seekers to help them Write like a bio, write a LinkedIn text thing, write a job description. Like we have ChatGPT is really helpful in that department. One of the incredible.
0: one of the parts about applying for jobs that I find kind of the most tedious is writing a cover letter. And like a lot of companies won't even look at your cover letter. Yeah. Uh. But some companies really want you to put a cover letter. So uh, I at the last job that I, I started, I actually used ChatGPT to create the cover letter. But then I went in and, like I edited it myself to make it yes. more me. Yeah, but sure just did. so i didn't have to <laughs> create the whole thing from scratch you know i gave chat gpt the description of the job and i sent it my resume and i was like hey help me with it. it spits out a cover letter for me
2: i have never gotten a job with i wrote a cover letter for i have never like i don't believe in cover letters personally yeah and just not crazy about them yeah, um and some companies
0: just- um my my uh girlfriend works in hr and she says a lot of companies don't even look at them. But then I have some companies who like I've dealt with that expect you to write one.
1: So it's weird. You don't know what people are expectations are. That's true. That's true. I mean, far too many expectations in far too many areas of, of life are just up in the air and you don't actually find out what it is until you've crossed that line far too. Exactly. Far too often. Yep. Yep. I mean, I always, uh, as we always word it, right. We're NDs and we live in an NT world.
2: I think uh, there's an analogy there. It's like, everybody gets an instruction manual, how to do life except for us. And it's up to us to figure out the instruction manual. But what's funny about that is that I've had to develop my own instruction manual. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like better at things that neurotypicals are in some things. For instance, like I went to Cornell and I became a teaching assistant there. And because of my being a teaching assistant and because I had to like really like put myself for the grinder to get better at things like public speaking and being independent. Mm-hmm. I'm now really good at it. And in my junior year, like something happened where I was teaching for like a web design class or web development class. And I had have office hours as a teaching assistant. And like, Everybody would come to my office hours, and the other office hours were like not as busy because I was able to explain things the way people 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 would like get something out of it. Whereas other TAs, which is like reading from the textbook or reading from the online, but I could like explain things to people in a way that like made sense to them, and I wasn't talking down to them. I'm like, "You're here to learn. Let's 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 learn."
1: Yeah, absolutely. and that was
2: interesting for me. That was I was better at this stuff than my neurotypical peers. It was fun, but it was an interesting experience. Well, it's always
1: been my experience that like folks, especially, uh, I don't know what language you prefer when it comes to this, but like we identify as being level one.
2: I haven't really used that terminology in a long time. Okay. Not that it's not that it's good or bad. I just I don't even really think about it that way. Okay. Like, one thing that I feel strongly about as a, more of a concept is that mm-hmm. autism is not a spectrum. It is more of a color wheel. But and what I mean by that is, if you're going to put me on the same spectrum as mm-hmm. Jellico's older brother, right. that's not a fair comparison. Because I would argue they're more brilliant than me in a lot of ways, but that's they sure. have a communication barrier. right. And whereas I'm, I can communicate, but I have these different strengths and areas of expertise. Mm-hmm. So putting us on a binary scale, putting me in one box and him in another box is not a fair assessment. Whereas if you look at something more of a color wheel, it's like I'm really good at the communication side of things, Mm -hmm. but I might struggle in a sensory environment. Right. Whereas Vikram succeeds in a communicate does not succeed in a communication area, Mm -hmm. but is superb when it comes to like information processing, and pattern recognition, and uh, how he can communicate when he knows what he wants to say. So putting us in like a very binary here or there thing kind of is a little bit demeaning in that way.
1: OK, I, think, so uh, I talk
2: about the idea of like on the spectrum. I think he, like human beings on the spectrum uh, is a whole other thing.
0: I think human no. beings have a uh, like we have a need to classify things. So I think it's like, you know, there's lots as many things in life that we put into boxes that don't realistically don't actually fit into those boxes. Right. But we just feel like we have a need to classify things and put things into categories.
1: But there can be a benefit to doing that, too, though. Um, there are reasons why being able to identify the severity level of something can be rather important. And you were, you were absolutely right that people need to be a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more complex when you're uh, looking at behaviors, but there is also a benefit in identify, being able to identify who needs more or less support, if you will. I mean, that's a big conversation in our community, isn't it?
2: Yes. When I say like, I don't say high functioning. I say like high like low support needs, right. high support needs. You use like that version. I live independently. Yep. I have two cats. I just fed them mm-hmm. before we did this. I live with my fiance. Like, right. I live independently. I could go out there tomorrow and just like live my life independently. Mm-hmm. Someone like Vikram could not do that. Right. So like he needs a lot more support to get through the day. Um but Vikram could like if he was gonna go on and like speak six languages, he could do that. I can't do that. I right. speak one language. I speak right. I speak I speak cat. Maybe that's the only other language I can speak. Me too. But the idea is, like, I, I I think it's fair to be able to, like, help understand where somebody in a neurodiversity is at because some people do rely on other things to get them through the day or to help right. them with executive functioning, to help them with mm-hmm. stimming, to help them with focus or whatever else it is. That's just a part of what makes us all different, divergent. Right. So those aren't necessarily bad things. It's just strategies. and no. How we... Well,
1: I mean, in, in the same regard, then, then, we can also say that all human beings are different in such a way. So why do we identify autism being such a different thing when all human beings are different?
2: I think we're just very stubborn and we don't take no for an answer.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> our like, brains are different.
2: Our brains I mean, are different. Yes.
1: I mean, straight up by birth. Yeah.
2: yeah but like It'll be very easy for me to say to my boss, like, Hey, I'm autistic. I want to use a fidget cube in my desk and leave it at that. Or I can do the opposite and just have a fidget cube, fidget cube in my desk and not say anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do say as well, like, and this is a helpful example, but on my teams that I've worked at when when I was in an office, which hasn't been for a while, to be honest with you. But when I was in an office, I would say to my team, I would say team, like, hey, I'm gonna wear like big obnoxious headphones at my desk. Like these just to block out noise. Um if you need to get in touch with me, send me a Slack message or tap on my desk. Do not touch me. Please don't touch me. I'll freak out. And that was, that was enough for people. I didn't necessarily say I was autistic to them explicitly. I just said like, this is how I work. Mm-hmm. Please respect it. And people were cool with it. It was never an issue. Yeah. Well, I'm glad
1: you were able to work in an environment where it was that accepting where you didn't have to go as far as to be like, look, I'm diagnosed with this thing. And that's why I'm doing it. You were just like, hey, this is how I do things. If you actually. Do
0: you...
1: Go oh, ahead. Sorry. No,
0: I was, was going to say you reminded me of something that happened to me the other day because. um I do. I host trivia sometimes. I host like Ooh. trivia nights, um, and the other night I was doing trivia, and I was surrounded by a group of people, and it made me uncomfortable because like I'm used to just having my own space when I do it, but mm-hmm. like I'm working on reading the questions and all that. But I had people like actually physically mm-hmm. touching me, and I've had women come up to me and just start touching me and like why right. Why are you? Why are you I don't know you. I like, don't touch. Yeah. Me. Like
1: the hand on the shoulder thing. Why are you touching me? I don't, I yeah. don't get it. I
0: had a lady I, actually put something in my face a few weeks ago. Yeah. She what? like, yeah, she, she put a piece of paper in my face and I was like, I don't, I think she was on drugs or something. But oh, it was, yeah. inebriated of some type. No,
2: I went to Boston calling yeah. uh, recently and I forgot my headphones, which isn't a big deal. Cause like, I want to listen to the music. but. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to see Noah Kahn with my fiance, who's a good artist, by the way. She loves Noah Kahn.
1: Okay.
2: And as we just, it was really a poorly designed way to get people out because we spent like at least ten minutes just like leaving the pit, just like bodies everywhere. Like Mm. it was smelly, it was sweaty, it was hot. It was like every sensory thing you could imagine was in that moment. And I was just like looking at my fiance and being like, "We got to get out of here. This is I'm I'm not feeling comfortable." And I was like, able to bear it for just a few minutes, but I knew I, I wouldn't have got myself into the situation if I knew what was going to happen later. Okay. But I was at the mall, I was at the, Na- the Natick Mall, the loudest mall in the world. <laughs> and I was at the Nat- Natick Mall, and I could like, actually feel my head like throbbing from the noise. And I said to my fiance, like, I don't mean to be cranky right now. I'm just telling you that the noise is causing me pain. So if I'm cranky and I kind of sound mean, that's why. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying very hard not to be cranky but I am like in pain because of the sensory thing and saying it to her also really helps her. It's just helpful between the two of us the way it's just like it's out there in the open and I'm not intent. don't like intentionally come off as cranky. I'm just right. like, disclaiming it, I but guess
1: more of. So she knows the reason.
2: Yeah. Like she's known that I've been autistic for a very, very long time since mm-hmm. I think a few months after we started dating okay. and she's been amazing when it comes to helping support me and like my quirks and what makes me, a little bit unique. Mm-hmm. Um, I we have like love languages, and it's her love language is quality time, and my love language is like acts of service or gifts and stuff like that. Nice. So, okay, I think like early early pandemic, um, when there was still a lot of unknown factors in the world, and she, like she lived in Connecticut, I was in the Boston area, so we would meet up like about halfway. So you get up Interstate eighty four.
1: Like Whereabouts in Connecticut? West Hartford. Oh. I'm from East Hartford. That's why I bring that up. I only moved out here like five years ago.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so we would meet in Sturbridge, like right oh, off the of okay. floor. Yeah. And that's like about a halfway for both of us. I remember one time I said to her, like, hey, like, I'm really like mentally kind of off today. Mm-hmm. I want to hang out with you, but like, I can't hang out for like a while, but I want to see you for like, a couple of hours. And we did that. And it was wonderful. And she's just been very like accommodating and like flexible and understanding, which is, right. I think, the most important part. She just, now, like, is she
1: on the spectrum too? No. No, okay. well, see,
0: I, I live with my girlfriend. Uh, I've been with her for going on two years now, but I'm still waiting oh, to husband. tell her. You know, I just I oh. figure I'll we'll just drop it casually one day.
2: Listen so this podcast.
1: No, okay. she he's completely
0: I'm kidding. Kidding. Sorry, like, I'm in a I'm in a funny
1: mood this morning. I feel like make a lot to do. So, so his sarcasm is so wonderful that he could be confused for a guy from Money Python because <laughs> it is just so dry and just. Yeah,
2: yeah. So I tell my fiance, like, you can't be sarcastic over a text because I won't understand what you mean. Like, if you if you're sarcastic, you have to like say it to my face, very like exaggerated, Mm -hmm. and then I'll do it. And then like my sarcasm is also very exaggerated as well. Like, I make it very clear I'm trying to tell a joke here and just be funny.
1: Oh yeah, I have to put on a real big smiley face just so people (laughs) know I'm kidding. Like, and I can't be subtle about it. I kind of have to go. Like a big I have face. To
2: be, I have to be obvious about it. Yeah, exactly.
0: It gets lost on a people too. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you because um, we talked a lot about like mentra and y- y- what you did for like y- your experience in school and all that. But um, what do you what do you like to do for fun? Like what do you do outside of work?
2: Um, I'm a big skier, so S-
0: ski. You're gonna think this
2: is crazy. Skiing, like snow skiing. Oh. Wow. You, you can think this is crazy, but I was skiing Memorial Day weekend. Um, Killington, Vermont was open Memorial Day weekend, and they had what's one trail. So, what happens is Killington, Vermont, they host a the Women's World Cup for skiing. The best women's skiers in the world come and compete at Killington around Thanksgiving weekend every year. Um, one of the famous athletes is Michaela Schifrin. She's from the New England area, she's from uh, Burke. So, <clears throat> it's very important to Killington because it's like basically her home turf. And so, they really like they create a lot of manufactured man-made snow on this one trail. Mm-hmm. And the snow lasts a very long time. So they have actually been able to open in June. They were open just this past June 1st. They were open on Thursday, June 1st, for skiing. One day, one trail. Wow. for $25. They were open June before that. I think they were open the June before that. I don't remember. Oh, no, they weren't. It was, eh, I don't remember. Um, they were open the June before covid they really keep that trail going for a while, and it's fun. You ski in a tank top, you ski in like <laughs> a t-shirt, you wear a hat, sunglasses. It's a vibe, and like people tailgate afterwards. You tailgate for a football game. People tailgate out of their cars after the skiing is over. Mm-hmm. It's a vibe. It's a lot of fun.
0: I really need to go skiing again. I haven't been skiing since I was in high school.
2: Huh. Go to which? Go to what? Go to Blue Hills. I would recommend what oh, just Break, just, break my
0: hip. Which is amazing. You're not that old yet. I went ice skating last winter, which I've never Ooh. done that before.
2: Ice Skating is fun. But the muscles the muscles are very similar. If you can ice skate, then skiing is like a very similar set of like body mechanics. I actually
0: so like, didn't fall until my girlfriend <coughs> pulled on my back. So. <laughs> oh, so you're going to blame her for you falling over? Yes. Okay, good. Because I did not fall until. There I would say, uh, well, I used to um, rollerblade <laughs> and I used to ski and skateboard and all that when I was younger. So, like, I have some
2: balance, but. I I, want to rollerblade more. I just haven't had. I don't know where to do it.
1: So unlike you people, I didn't do a whole lot of physical activity when I was younger. Like I was not into like sports in any way, shape, or form. I didn't care for late. No, no, I don't want to do any of it. No, I still love climbing trees. That was my thing. I have like no interest in doing any of those like outdoor activities.
2: So do indoor? Do indoor rock climbing?
1: That that involves effort uh nick exercises. physical behind. effort is not my strong suit he exercises by roasting coffee beans that's yes it. that is that is what i do yeah, yeah. lifting up that oh, pound to put it in the machine that's that's about as, you, as much exercise as i want to get You a coffee i director?
2: have found that like indoor rock climbing is also really fun it's like a puzzle you solve with your with your, with your body oh. and i do but i do big, big brothers big sisters mm-hmm. and one of the things i took him rock climbing there a couple times and he's like a really athletic uh he's like a high school student. He's like oh, a okay. really athletic person. And we took him there and he just had a lot of fun. He's, you get sore though. Like if you like if you don't do it often, you get sore really quickly. So right. like we only lasted maybe an hour, but like it's just so interesting. Like how you position your body, like people get really into it. Do you have like clubs and like gaggles of people? It's crazy. That's
1: awesome.
0: I don't think I'm um, in good enough shape to do that right now. Actually, I did I went to a um there's uh it's in Berlin, Berlin Mass. They mm-hmm. have this um, zip, it's not, not like ziplining, but it's like zip lining and climbing. It's a part. Treetop
2: Adventures? That's it might be Cant- that one.
0: No, no, it no in Can- it's in uh, Berlin, Mass. But they okay. have one where different. they do have parts where you have to rock climb, but it's mm-hmm. it's like up in the trees. So you're, you know, uh, 10, 20 or, or plus feet up and mm-hmm. you, you're going across like all these little platforms. But then they have sections where you have to actually rock climb. Uh horizontally, uh, horizontally, so like across, to get yep. to other other platforms. But it's, it, I actually hurt myself doing that. So.
2: There's <laughs> a place like that in Canton, Massachusetts called yeah. Treetop Adventures. That place is so much fun. Like yeah. they have like different difficulties too. Like they have easy ones. You stay close to the ground, and they have like a double black diamond. You get like super far up above the trees. It's so much but fun. That's it's like what a, that's, it's like. Hard too.
0: That's where um, I hurt myself because I did it at the beginning. I did the beginner and the intermediate, and I'm like, these were easy. So I decided to do the expert ones, and then I ended up bruising all of my arms because ah. I fell off a few times, and I scraped my arm on the safety line. So I
1: ended up oh bruising. My, my
0: whole forearm was, like, all bruised. And But I had fun, even though I hurt myself.
1: So you guys have fun doing that, and yeah. uh, I'll watch from the ground where it's nice and safe and comfy. Yep.
2: Ha. Yep. All right. I'm, I'm also into running as well. So oh. I I volunteered, I volunteered, I didn't run, but I volunteered the Boston Marathon this year, which is really cool. All right. So That's I, a fun
1: experience. I actually have tactile issues when it comes to like liquid touching my skin. I have the same Look, thing. But do you, you like to run? Well, I don't like running in the rain.
2: Yeah, but um, sweat even if bothers
1: me in that same the way. Sweat
2: doesn't bo- Well, like it's 10 minutes at the time of year. Like this time of year, like, yeah, it sucks. But yep. like if you like If you go back a month for like forward into like the fall, it's Mm -hmm. fine. Like the sweat doesn't really bother me, but it's like if it's raining and like the water is like hitting my skin, that bothers me. Like I cannot run in the rain. Like if I had to run and get home, I would, but I would be very uncomfortable. I just really dislike that sensation.
1: Yes. Um, I always describe it as a thousand fingers touching me.
2: That's a really accurate way of saying it. It's just like, I I feel it very vividly. I experience every raindrop very specifically. I can't really like tune it out. Yeah, So I have, I am forced to experience each thing Yeah, and my brain generally process it for so long. I I don't think
0: I've ever had that issue. No, for me, I have, um, I don't have the same tactile issues you have. It's for me, it's more sounds and smells. Yeah. Yeah. You're definitely auditory in that way. Smells are like extreme to me. I can smell stuff. Like a dog,
1: like I just oh, yeah. pick up on every any any smell. Well, I mean, and that's sound. that's the way you can smell all those flavor notes and all the coffee that I roast.
2: I'm the opposite. I have a really bad sense of smell, but huh? my hearing is superb. Oh, like, okay. I can hear something from really far away, right. I'd like also be like, have a million sounds close to me. I can't really hear stuff that well. but like if we're like in a quiet environment and mm-hmm. I hear something I can hear it from really far away. and I'm like, did you hear that? And you're like, no, I didn't hear that there
0: there's certain things I didn't know um when in previous relationships, uh I used to get irritated or upset when people would talk really close to my ear mm-hmm. and i I'm very sensitive to sound, but I didn't know at the time that I was on right. that I was autistic, so I was just I just thought everybody was like that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, doesn't it bother you if somebody like, and I would make the same noise close to their head that they would do to me. And so it wouldn't bother. They them would do all. like, like, yeah. like do raspberries right in my ear. <laughs> and I hate
2: it. I hate it when folks yeah. like assume what my neurodiversity means when they come up to me. But mm-hmm. also I think it's a point to have a conversation about it with folks. Like, yeah. I'm very open about my autism to people in my yeah. personal network, like in my friends and family. Everybody knows at this point. But like people also know that I'm advocating for other people and I talk a lot about it. So Mm -hmm. I have people come up to me. Like I have like family friends come up to me. Like my parents have been coming up to me and they're like, Oh, my son, daughter, nephew, step aunt is autistic. And I would love for you to talk with them. And I'm like, cool. I don't mind talking with people over text or something or the copy on the call every once in a while. Mm -hmm. What gets frustrating is when, people I think start to assume about me because they know somebody who's autistic. As I mentioned before, like I'm not a rain man. I'm not a shelter for big bang theory. I right. am a. if you've met one person who's autistic, you've met one person.
1: Uh, yeah. And I think that's a good rule of thumb for all human beings, but very much so for people on the spectrum. Well, it
0: reminds me of like, um, yeah. you know, 20 years ago and people would be like, Oh, uh, you know, my uncle's gay when they meet yeah, a gay person yeah. and they assume that the gay person they meet is like
2: that all gay people are a monolith. Right. They're all the same. Yep. Which is- Neurodiversity is the same way. Oh, yeah. But it's actually a similar concept too, like quote coming out as yep. neurodivergent or like <clears throat> saying to people that you're autistic is a very personal private thing mm-hmm. that could change how people perceive you. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. For a lot of people, it's a very private topic. For me, it happens not to be. I know a lot of people in my life who have confided in me that they either are or suspect they're neurodivergent, but would never say something for fear of backlash from people in their lives. Right. And, and the reason why people have a diagnosis is because maybe their family isn't as tolerant to the idea of that mm-hmm. as they want them to be. And I don't know how it would be perceived similar thing to being an LGBTQ community. It's not exactly the same, but it's a similar concept. No,
1: definitely a similar concept. Definitely. It, Cause it does. There is a little bit of a fear, a little bit of anxiety that you get when you're, Saying to somebody, I mean, you—you you said you were diagnosed very early. On me and him, were both late diagnosed. I mean, yeah. and when I say late diagnosed, I mean in our thirties, like so. Well,
0: yeah, I was about thirty. You know. Yeah,
1: you were about thirty. Um, okay, so I was trying to include but, you in my world. My bad.
0: I was, but I was diagnosed with other things that were right misdiagnosed. Yeah, as other other. Yeah, because well, I'm also
1: bipolar, and when I started telling friends and family that I was diagnosed with bipolar, um, it it felt weird as if like I was coming out and it was just a very weird concept because I would tell somebody and they'd be like, nah, man, you're just, you're just, you just accept you for you. And I'm like, no, I have to take this medication. Otherwise that other person that you knew comes back. Well, yeah, but we always had fun with that guy. It was like, yeah, for a couple of days. And then I was depressed. Like, come on. Or uh, people telling me all the time. Yeah. You're
0: not autistic. Yeah. Okay. yeah.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I get that I get You don't that look too. autistic? Yeah. Uh, that's one of my favorites. Um, my favorite so far <laughs> is. <laughs> what the
2: hell does that mean? But
1: you talk really well. And I'm like, Oh, that I happens do? to me
2: too. Okay. I did like make like a TikTok reel about this. And I made it, the, oh, but you don't look autistic. And then I start talking about like Bionicles and Kingdom Hearts <laughs> and other things that I geek out on. And I'm like, well, I I can really be autistic if you really want me to. But fair warning, you can't put that cat back in the bag. Yeah,
1: And just pull out a magic card and be like, are you sure? Yep. Uh, Well, I mean, one of of the reasons why a lot of people don't necessarily even see when I talk about special interests is because my special interest has always predominantly been psychology and human behavior. So like talking behavior with somebody, people don't really notice that you're obsessively talking about it because everybody is kind of having a conversation in one way or another about behavior. Yep. And so like, I guess I kind of got away with it for quite a while, but the more I've accepted my diagnosis and the more I've kind of come to terms in myself with it, the more I kind of noticed that like a lot of those tangents and the way people always described me as being a professor that I lecture a lot. Oh, now I get it. (laughs) That's why. All right.
2: When I was growing up, it was all about Thomas the Tank Engine. Thomas the Tank Engine and Blue's Clues were like yep. the most important things in my life. Ask my parents, ask my brother. It was Thomas the Tank Engine and Blue Clues. Those were my special interest fixations. Nothing else mattered except for those, those two shows. Um, it's funny, actually, because I follow like Steve Burns from Blue's Clues on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And so like he talks about Blue's Clues from time to time. He's bald now. Right. And it's interesting, like, seeing this individual who was an important part of my childhood now go up to do, like, other stuff. Like, they had a Blue's Clues movie. He was in it. Isn't um, he um, a musician now? He's a musician. He yeah. wrote up. He did an audio book recently. Oh. Not recently. Like, he narrated an audio book. And, like, hearing his voice again <laughs> as an adult was really nostalgic for me. Like,
0: you just read. my I didn't book. Know how- <laughs> you just read my book.
2: I know like <laughs> hearing, but hearing him say that like, adult words is like, I listened to this man for like three or four years of my life. And here he is using like big, long English words. Like something mm. in my head is not computing.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, if you don't mind me asking uh, roughly, what's your age? I'm 26. 26. Uh, see, I was guessing mid twenties because you <laughs> said you grew up with blues clues and I remember blues clues being popular when I was a teenager yeah, you know what I mean. Like I was teenager, early it was a 20s. little bit
0: past my time, but I knew it yeah. because um, there were other kids around me when yeah. I was like when Blue's Clues was popular. But it, I was cool. a little older for that. Like for me, it was um, I'm just kind of starting like, to have kids. What I was, I used to watch more. Like um, I don't know my parents, and if it's, it's, if it's a bad thing for my parents, but I watched a lot more like older shows.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Like I, I was obsessed with The Simpsons. Yeah, even as a little kid, mm. yeah, I was watching them as a kid too. I, used, I was obsessed with the Simpsons and like Power Rangers. Yeah, it was like my thing.
2: Loose Clues. Um, I love a lot. Of, I love a lot of Nickelodeon shows. I think oh, I loved um, Danny Phantom was a really cool show. Well
1: you, well, you grew up when the the height of the Nickelodeon kind of that was like the, if you the, will. the top of the
2: mountain. Yeah, um, Danny Phantom. My life as a teenage robot, mm-hmm. Jimmy Neutron. I remember when it came out with the Nicktoons Unite game, when you had SpongeBob and Danny Phantom oh. and Timmy Turner and um, oh crap, Danny, Fan- Danny Phantom, Timmy Turner, SpongeBob, and Jimmy Neutron all in the same game, and I was like dying. That was like the best <laughs> I, game ever.
0: I grew up with Nickelodeon when it was like Rocco's Modern Life. Yes, and that was, was a
2: great show too. Like my mom, my mom and I, when I was a teenager, we, we would watch reruns of Hey Arnold. My mom loves yeah. Hey Arnold. That's Very like good. her favorite Nickelodeon show. I, I would, like, send her, like, little clips from Arnold every once in a while just for the nostalgia factor. That's a, And my favorite Nickelodeon show, I would say, is actually is Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah, oh, that's okay. a really
0: good... I didn't actually watch that until I was... I want to say I was in my late 20s when I first watched that show because I'd heard it was a good show, but it was a kid's show, and I always ignored it because I was like, eh, it's a kid's show, right? And I watched it as an adult, and I actually enjoyed it. It's a really good show. Yeah.
2: I, They're I've, making, I've
0: heard of it. I mean, they're making a Netflix
2: live action version. Oh, really? They're making a live action version on Netflix.
0: Wow. It's a very it's a kid's show, but it it doesn't dumb things down for kids. So they they have a lot of um, there's actually a lot of complicated and complex ideas and philosophy in it. Okay. Even though it's a kid's show.
1: All
2: right. Um, Also, it has Mark Hamill in it.
1: What, wait, I'm sorry, the one for Netflix is going to have Mark Hamill in it? No, Mark Hamill is in the original version. The original version had Mark
2: Hamill in it as Fire Lord Ozai? Yes, and it's cool. Like, I don't always envision Mark Hamill as being a villain outside of the Joker. But he actually (laughs) talked, I, I saw something, a YouTube video, he was talking about Fire Lord Ozai recently. And he's saying, like, oh, like, your show is going to get canceled in a few episodes. And then, like, people come up to him and like, oh, I watched your show with my kids. And he said, like, that's the hallmark of an amazing show when adults watch it with their kids. Yes.
0: And absolutely. Was that the, have, um, the one he did uh, where he answered questions from Google?
2: Yes. I, I saw the same one. video. <laughs> yes. It, I always blow <laughs> people in mind when, like, Fireload Ozai is Mark camel. And then you can't unhear it.
0: He's done it's so actually, many um uh, characters, like cartoon characters. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah,
1: I, I honestly think that he probably prefers. And I don't know if this is true or not, but it's just my perception of it. I honestly think that as an actor, he would prefer to not be seen, but be heard.
0: I mean, he said during that um, that interview that uh, he likes doing cartoons and likes doing voiceover work because uh, he can be anybody, which right. when you're acting on. Uh, and he, there's lots of roles he would never get because of how he looks. But when you're playing a cartoon character, you can be anybody. Oh. So he's basically very, what I said, he actually did say. I just
1: didn't know that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah,
2: like he has an incredible vocal range. He's oh, yeah. the Joker. Oh, and, like, God. So yeah. many productions of the Joker. He's the Joker. Yeah. Like yeah. when you hear yeah. the Joker in your head, that's Mark Hamill. He's uh, Skip from regular show. Mm-hmm. He um, He's the candy pirate from Kids, Code and Kids Next Door. Like he has a lot of roles you wouldn't know about. Oh, because, wow. Because like you never like associate the name to the face. Right. And when you hear it, you're like, wow, that's Mark Hamill. And yeah. like lots of other famous actors too. Like even uh, Tom Kenny is in kids next door. Fun fact. Who? Who just supports the voice of SpongeBob.
0: Oh. Yeah. Um, just TV? so Shay, we're approaching the one hour mark. I just wanted to let you know, because, you know, I, we booked you for an hour and I don't want to keep you too long. Um, yeah. If you, you know, if you have other things, I, you need I can
2: to keep do. going. I, I have to leave at like 11 o'clock, but I can keep going.
1: We'll
2: we come. don't have to go two cool. hours, but we can keep
1: Yeah, kids yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Um, um, I had a question, and it was right there. And then the second I said, cool, it went that way. <laughs> so that question is now gone. He's thinking about SpongeBob now. Maybe. He wants a you Krabby Patty. Well, you said Tom Kenny, and I immediately was like, who the hell is that? But you Spongeb- said voice the, the of SpongeBob. Yeah.
2: All right. So I got stuck in okay. the name, all right? Like an important part of TV as well is like representation.
1: Mm, Um, TV and movies. I got a real big question for you on that. Um, And because so I I do a lot of our social media kind of stuff. So I look through TikTok a lot. I'm looking through Facebook, autism pages Mm -hmm. and whatnot. And that comes up quite a lot people talking about representation in TV and movies. And yep. there's some people who like the fact that there's at least some representation, right? There are some characters that exist. Uh, and then other people are like, no, 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 we need a more realistic one, but nobody can agree on what that realistic autistic character would look like.
0: Because they're they're probably trying to define it from their own right. experience. Yes,
2: they have their unique experience. Right. In the case of somebody who's neurodivergent, the most important thing is that to me, that the actor is played by a neurodivergent person. Yeah. And that you're not playing to a stereotype, you play to the authenticity of it. So like if you're portraying somebody who is autistic, Mm -hmm. you should have an autistic actor or actress. So here's a great example of that. Um, Pixar, Disney Pixar, Pixar does a lot of like short films. Mm -hmm. They put out a short film a few years ago called Loop, which features um, an African-American girl who is Mm -hmm. nonverbal autistic. Mm -hmm. And it's the story of like how she, the, it was a visual and uh, audio projection of how she experiences the world sensory from sound from sight. And I super recommend checking it out. If you can, it's on Disney plus it's on other places too. Okay. And they recorded for lack of a better word. They recorded a non-speaking autistic girl woman for this. Okay. And, it was number one, an authentic representation, but also they used, they uh, portrayed, they, I've, I've, they cast an autistic actress in this role for sure. this thing. So there's representation and number one, seeing this type of individual, first off, seeing someone who's not a white guy with autism on the big screen is a big deal for a lot of women who are autistic, yeah. African-American people who are autistic, and then white sure. and then black women who are autistic. It's like, a whole lot of intersectionality right there too, which mm-hmm. is super important because autism is not just white guys. Right. Sorry to all of us who are here right now. But I am the stereotype of autism. We, we know
1: full well it's not just about us. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but it's important to me to like be able to lift our voices up and show people like sure. neurodiversity is not just white guys, it's a lot of people. Right. Like for instance on Mentra, more than half the people on our platform are women. Yeah. I know that for a fact. Um and that's it's important to call that out because Society makes you think that autistic people are mostly men, but that's not. No,
1: that prevalency went away quite some time ago. Um, I mean, there's still some numbers out there that dictate men are being diagnosed more often, but that's also because the old standard of how to diagnose autism is still very male based.
2: Yes, but the CDC, I think, recently put out a report saying that they are finding that more people are getting diagnosed with autism, Mm -hmm. especially folks who are not white men. That's not yeah. to say that autism is spreading or growing, but that the science is getting better, yes. especially as it pertains to non-white men. Right. For better word.
1: Uh, why I do I do like that majority of the autism voices that I listen to on a bunch of the social media platforms are actually women. There, There's yes. a lot more female voices mm-hmm. out there uh, yes. with their own experience, you know, early diagnosed and late diagnosed, which I listen to and I I Pay attention more to late diagnosis because I can relate to that story a lot better. Yep. But I'm glad that there's a lot of that, even though at the same time, most of those people are saying there needs to be more representation of female autistic voices. But that's predominantly all I see for the most part. I mean, it's interesting yeah. that the stereotypes still persist that white males are the, the predominant autism. But because there's there's a lot more voices out there. Um, Yeah. So the reason why I also brought the representation is because like, as of right now, in even just the US population, like the neurodiverse community does not make up a large portion of it at all. I mean, there's, you know, not a high percentage. And so if we're, and I'm not arguing for or against like having an autistic person play an autistic person. But I figure if we want to have more characters out there that are autistic, wouldn't we be hindering ourselves by saying they can only be autistic people playing them? Especially because, like, so if they made a movie out of about me and Steve making this podcast, right? You could have just about anybody play us because, like, I'm rather high masking. You know, unless you unless you get into moments like when I'm having a meltdown or burnout or whatever, then you might notice some of the more autistic traits that are a little bit more overt that way. But for the most part, you wouldn't necessarily need somebody who's on the spectrum to play us, if you will, if you get what I'm saying with that.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting point, because on the one hand, I, and I think it just it just depends as well. And like, how does your nerd? Neurodivers- how does your neurodiversity impact how you live your life? And how do other people perceive it? Like if I went off and if I moved across the country and Mm -hmm. I told nobody who I was, people would not, people would not assume that I was autistic. Right. But as soon as I say it, then people sort of put me into that bucket. Yeah.
1: yeah, They start, they start adding stuff into it. That's not even necessarily.
2: If someone's going to make an an autobiography of my life, Mm -hmm. I would expect that they use an autistic actor because I do have this private moments where when I'm not in the limelight, I do kind of struggle with certain things. Um, and let's pick up the point. Like, do we want to limit the number of people who can play autistic actors or actresses to only people who are autistic? That's interesting question. You, that's it, depends an- it depends on like what are trying to portray, but yeah. there are, for instance, there's a, a theater group in New York city mm-hmm. called Epic players, which yeah. consists solely of individuals who are, I think autistic or neurodivergent more broadly. And they put on shows, mm-hmm. um, a variety of different ones. They're yeah. called Epic Players in New York City. Okay. And then um, even recently in the Boston area, there was a, a show done at the Huntington Theater. Mm-hmm. And it was about an autistic individual working retail over the holidays. And it was a very interesting show. It was portrayed by a non-autistic individual. Mm-hmm. The brother was autistic. Okay. I learned later. But it was portrayed by somebody who was not autistic. But they played the role in such a way where I still felt very like it was still very visceral and very like relevant to me. Right. Even though it was not an autistic actor. Like right. would I have liked different for them to be an autistic actor? Mm-hmm. Yes. But I still have to appreciate the fact that they're still close to the heart and soul of what it means. So it's not it's not like they came into this from a vacuum. Right. They, their brother is autistic, so they clearly know something right. about it. They had a it. reference point and, to it. And I also think that the fact that they do have a connection and relationship to it does show that they have a great amount of care and respect for it. And not not just going to like blow something out there. It's coming from personal experience, for Mm lack of a better word, but it does show it it comes from a place of care. Right. And that show in particular, I remember watching with my fiance, like holding her hand the whole time. I'm like, this is really real for me. It was like very on point. There you go.
1: Um. So those the, Also, like the thing about representation is most of the people who say they want representation from our community, they're also talking about people who have really low support needs for the most part. You know what I mean? Like, no, I don't see it a lot. And it might be out there. There might be people advocating for this. I don't know. But I rarely ever hear or even talk with anybody who is advocating for level two or level three, right? Higher support need people. Yeah, They're never really saying, oh, yeah, let's see that person who, you know, has a problem with impulse control with biting and kicking or screaming at the top of their lungs for no reason. Mm-hmm. Let's put that person. No, they're more the time talking about people who have really low support needs. And I think that in itself, too, is kind of an inequality because that makes people who have higher support needs disappear.
2: Yes. It, we live in a world where Hollywood dominates. And as far as Hollywood is concerned, mm-hmm. it's supposed to itself.
1: But well, I, I and I understand like, from their point of view, I understand that. Like, but from our community, I think we should be speaking for that voice more.
2: I agree. And that's an important part of what it's an important challenge that Mentra faces that mm. my company, and that I face as an advocate too. Cause like right. on the one hand, we're trying to connect people with employment and with jobs. And on the other hand, we have a lot of people on the platform who struggle and get into the point where they are, for lack of a better word, like employable mm-hmm. where they're, they're either missing a lot of things that would help them to become, uh, just to take, get ready to take that first step. Yeah. Like it is a very big challenge for us to be able to connect somebody with a job. If they can't live independently, if they can't manage their bills, if they can't do that stuff, it, it is a challenge that eats away at us because we want to be able to connect every person with a job as much as possible. Right. But on the other hand, it's such a massive it's, an, it's a time-consuming investment process to spend on one person. We can get 100 people hired in a, in, who are ready to go. So one thing that we're trying to move through as a company is how can we support people who need a lot of structure, a lot of growth to get from where they are to mm-hmm. where they're ready to take on a job, even if right. it's part-time, even as volunteer, whatever. Like, for a lot of people, there's a big gap, lack of a better word, to get to where they need to be. Mm-hmm. And how can we, as mentor, facilitate that? When do we facilitate that? Because right. we're a small company. We're ten people. and there's only so much that I can automate away with technology.
1: <laughs> and
2: true. we try very hard to be respectful and like careful about how we approach this right for a variety of reasons. And right. it it eats at me to not be able to like flip a switch and do more for the people who have a lot of who have a lot of support needs who need a lot of structure and support to Mm -hmm. move through life. Um, And I think we as MENTRA always try to think about how can we be doing better in that department? What can we be doing better? Whether it's just as simple as at least advocating for it on social media, at least just acknowledging it. Right. Or whether it's doing more in our platform. Okay. It's a tough subject. Yeah, well...
1: I think everything in our community currently has a lot of nuance and is a very dynamic topic to talk about, especially because even though autism's been around for a long time, right now is when people are really trying starting to understand it and actually understand it. I mean, think about yep. it. What, 10, 15 years ago, they didn't even realize that there was a different brain structure. They yep. they still believed that it was a behavioral issue. And now we're coming to terms and understanding that, no, there's an entire group of people, the neurodivergence, and there's an assortment of different, I don't want to call them disorders, differences that kind of make up this community. It's not just autism, it's not just ADHD. Um, I actually, on TikTok, I watched this gentleman who was talking about newer research about ADHD. And he was like, well, it used to be characterized as having a lack of attention. And he goes, that's wrong. And he starts pointing out all the research that it's not a lack of attention. It's a different way of paying attention. Yep. And he wasn't even just trying to change the language to be more positive psychology talk or whatever. He actually was saying it in a way of like, no, we looked at this from the wrong direction. Look at it from their point of view. Yep. Which I I I really appreciate him.
2: And to the point of like working with self-advocates, working with Mm -hmm. like change makers I'm on LinkedIn. So I know a lot of people on LinkedIn who talk about neurodiversity all day long, nice. including people who are nonverbal. Um I'm going to butcher his name. so I'm going to look at that before I butcher his name, but this one individual I know okay, I found it. Hari Srinivasan. I hope I said his name right. He is an autistic advocate. He is mm-hmm. non-speaking. So like if you didn't know any better, if you communicated with him over like text, you'd be fine. Mm-hmm. But he does not communicate verbally the way that three of us do, but he's an incredibly powerful communicator. He's a really big policy advocate. I think he's spoken at the United Nations or something. I don't know that for hundred percent, but he, if you look at his like reputation, look at his portfolio, he is a massive um, change maker. Not just like, not just not to put, not to diminish the value of an influencer. He's more of like a policy advocate, I would say he is going out there and making changes, suggesting things, working with people to like actually improve the livelihood, especially for autistic folks who are nonverbal. That's awesome. And there's a lot to say in that department. And I would love to see, I'm not sure how this would work. I would love to see more like nonverbal autistic folks on social media or have Mm. their stories be highlighted in a way that's respectful and careful. And like, it's hard for me to just like shove someone in and say, "Hey, here's the spotlight. Have fun." Like I'm not gonna That's like right. go ahead and do that, but I want to be very careful and respectful about the process because there's no there's no greater harm than like inspiration porn. Like mm. doing something to make yourself feel good, I would only ever want to like do this to empower someone to make them feel as to to help fit society move forward. because okay. otherwise we're gonna be stuck in the past. So
1: if we're not moving forward, then we're stuck in the past?
2: I'm not sure. Like maybe I want to spin that back for a second. Like I think if I think progress is progress. Like we look at things like love on the spectrum. Yeah. Um, I have mixed feelings of love on the spectrum. Okay. I like love on the spectrum to a bit. Like I think it, it is it is helpful to have the perspective of autistic individuals that can feel love, can feel emotion, can feel have the capacity to Empathize with people. Right. Contrary to what many people's opinions say that we can't empathize or do whatever. Right. At the same time, I think the show is still placed with a lot of stereotypes that are common about autistic individuals. And there's a lot of things that it could do better, a better job at. It, in this situation, like some progress is better than no progress. Right. And I think it's important to say like these parts were great, these parts could be better. Okay. Um, I think what I was trying to say before is that yeah. if we don't move forward a society in progress, mm-hmm. we risk not learning from each other we risk becoming complacent with the things as the way they are Mm -hmm. and that allows us to get comfortable and maybe not stay critical of each other okay and what i mean what i mean by that is we just need to be like we need to just reality check each other every once in a while
1: i agree i agree He said inspiration porn I'm just sorry. I've been since you said that it's been rotating in my head like I've been repeating it in my head the entire time. I mean, I am listening to you as well, and I don't want you to think I wasn't listening, but I almost had like a, I just had that echo in my head.
2: Yeah, (laughs) that's a really big problem, too, because like, do you know what it is before I launch into it? Yeah, no, no, no. I, I get what you're saying. OK, when yeah, yeah,
1: I was
0: thinking about uh, when you were talking about representation and looking mm. at stuff on TikTok, I kept thinking of the meme that goes around uh, the I am a surgeon meme huh? Yeah, from because it's, you know, good doctor.
1: Yeah, I know the show, but
0: yeah, there's um, there's like this this thing people keep sharing the. It's a scene from the good doctor, which people make fun of because. Saying, oh,
1: oh, the one where he's having the meltdown.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. like that. They, this, the scene was weird and that the, like, well, the guy who plays the character is not autistic. but
1: well, No, he's not. Well, I've actually seen people who hate that show. Uh, there's this one uh, female TikToker in particular. She, constantly, she says how she hates that show, hates that show, hates that show. But then she had to make a couple of videos pointing out because people were shitting on that scene so much that she actually had to defend that scene. And she said, look, most people have no idea what autistic meltdowns look like. That's as close as anybody's really seen on TV. And she was like, look, I'd rather have that scene up there for people to be able to see than all these people who are saying, take it down. The show has to be canceled. She was like, but I hate that show. And a lot of the reasons is, is because, um, what's his name? Freddie Highmore is not autistic yep. and he's playing an autistic person and he's playing a very specific type of autistic person. Yep. And I do get that point that like, this is the front runner of a show. This is the main character of a show, but he's a very, very specific kind of autistic. Like yep.
2: that's something that loop does. I think a really authentic job of showing that oh, this okay. is like, this is a different representation of autism yeah. as it affects women as it affects African-Americans, as it affects nonverbal people, like is an authentic, like as close to the real thing as you can get when it comes to how loop was produced. And then also how other people interact with autistic people as well. Oh, okay. Um, It's about this individual, but also like one of their friends or something. Yeah, And it shows how these two people interact with each other and like how they go about life in, in this short, it's 10 minutes. Like, you could watch it when you before you go to sleep or something. And I think that's an authentic but also meaningful representation. Because mm-hmm. also like picks are consulted with other organizations in the process of consult workingness. I think they work with the autistic self-advocacy network to do this. Okay. And that's a really important organization.
1: Yeah. Um, I I would be like that's something that I want to see a lot more of is the interaction of Autistic folks, neurodivergent folks, interacting with non, or interacting with ourselves—you know, other people who are yep. also you know neurodivergent—because I think that needs to be shown. But I think it also needs to be in a very realistic way, because something I I do know, like when it comes to writing, you don't necessarily want to highlight the the when you're writing a story or whatever, like the the bad traits of things. Yep. Right. But at the same time, I think a. A true, honest representation of us would be somebody who's having a meltdown, who's having burnout, yep. shutdowns, somebody yep. who's also interacting with other people around them in whatever yep. capacity
2: they have to communicate with them, but in a real way. Yep. Sesame Street actually does that is in two ways. So oh. Sesame Street features an individual who is autistic, a, mm-hmm. a autistic woman, um, autistic girl. I think. Yes. And... They showcase. I, I, I don't know enough to be able to say if it's an autistic actress or not, so I'm not going to go that route. Okay. But they at least portray autism as authentically as they have the capacity to for mm-hmm. puppets. So it's an interesting way to for say puppets, it. But also yeah. like, but also like showing the world like, hey, these are people that exist. This is right. like a part of our everyday lives. Yeah. And a different example, which I think is actually a little more honest, is they now have someone on Sesame Street who's in a wheelchair. And one of the problems that people run up, is like, Oh, like this person's wheelchair isn't like built for their body. It's like all mess. It's too big for them or something like that. And Sesame Street said, no, like this wheelchair is like an honest representation of what they could use because like they may not have the money for a better wheelchair or it's a hand-me-down or something else. Like they, this, this may be their only wheelchair. And I thought like, wow, like, Talk about being honest and having a great presentation of like, absolutely. This is reality. Like, not everybody's going to have, looking at me for a second, not everybody's going to have an IEP. Not Mm -hmm. everybody's going to have parents who's going to go to hell and backward. Not everybody's going to get a diagnosis at two years old. Like, I recognize that I'm in a unique position to have gotten the support that I had from an early point in time, Mm -hmm. but most people probably never had that. And so every day that I wake up, I get to do what I do for Mentra is an amazing day because I do see it as like paying it forward in that way. Right. That and saying thank you to the advocates, teachers, supporters who got me to this point. And what I do with Mentra and the capacity of getting people hired is very motivating. And like I'm thankful to be doing what I'm doing and right. appreciative of it every moment. It's better it, it it's more motivating than selling furniture at Wayfair. Not that not that people don't need furniture, but it gets me out of bed in the morning in a way that a week yeah. there did not.
1: Yeah, it's 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 probably far more satisfying as a human being to do what you do now. Yes. Than to sell products. Um yes. No, I think it's great, though, that you also have the appreciation for what you were given along the way and the people who helped you. I'm glad to see that because some folks you know, don't necessarily see it. They just see what struggles they have and they don't see all
2: the extra that helped them get to where they are it's important to be able to try to recognize the people who have gotten me to this point and say, thank you mm-hmm. when, I had to, when I had the chance to, right. when I was in my hometown, uh, Port of July weekend a few years ago mm-hmm. and I was running, I was running, sorry. I was <laughs> running with my fiance on the bike path and I ran by somebody and like, it took me like a second to like, like, to look at their face and like register. Mm-hmm. And I, I was running for like, I never really saw that five seconds. And I said to like my fiance, like, like I, I need to stop. I need to go back for a second. Like I know who that person is. Um, She says, okay. Uh, we turn around and it was like someone who was like a one-on-one, like a shadow and aid, whatever you're going to call them middle school for me. They right. were with me for two years in middle school. And oh, cool. I hadn't seen or heard or spoken to them since middle school. And I just needed them to know like, Hey, like, I'm still here. I'm still kicking. I have a job. I have a girlfriend. Um, I'm just still doing my thing. And thank yeah. you for all of that. And that like interaction was just powerful for me to be able to tell them like, Oh yeah. I'm still around, but also like powerful for them too. That it, it must've been rewarding, but I, I, I remember that it sticks out in my mind kind of vividly.
1: Awesome. That's very cool. Uh, I'm glad you get to have those moments.
2: And, and it's it's and important I
1: try for to, our own, you know, our own sense of self-worth. I
2: try to, I try, to, to, I try to pay that. forward also to say like, thank you. I think saying yeah. thank you to these things are important because like for teachers, for advocates, for supporters, like they are very, po- they were a very small part of my life, but a very important part. Right. And, like Absolutely. I passed through them as one of the hundreds of students they see every year. Sure. But they stand out in my mind very very vividly. Like, I only have one 12th grade teacher. I only yeah. I have a few. I only have one 12th grade math teacher. I only have like one 10th grade English teacher, etc. Whereas yeah. they see like students by the dozen and it all sort of kind of blurs together at a certain point in time.
1: Absolutely. That's awesome. Um I think I can't see her. Yeah, um Computer, so I think it's about that time. Is there is there anything you want to yes.
0: tell people before we wrap this up? Is there anything you want people to know? And obviously, you can plug Mentra again. Tell them where they can find it. And you should. Yeah.
2: Um, mentra.com. You can sign up today. It's free for job seekers. There's no cost to you. If you notice know somebody who would benefit from it, mentor.com. You can also find me on the internet. I'm Shay Belsky, S-H-E-A. He is a boy, E-L-S-K-Y. I'm on LinkedIn. You can email me as well, shea at Mentra.com. There's only one of me. If you Google my name, you'll find me. I promise you there's not another one of me. And if there is another one of me, please tell me and I'll go deal with it.
0: Um, We're making a clone right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, but the last thing I'll say is that like you are your own best advocate and you know yourself better than anybody else. So if you're going to go out there and talk, talk with a friend, a family member, a manager, and you don't know what to say, just be yourself because you know yourself better than anybody else.
0: Awesome. Well said. Well, uh, we appreciate you coming on today, and uh, it was great having you. It was so great to be here. Thank you you so much. Thank you so much. Nice to meet you, Shaq. Great to meet you, too. Bye-bye. Bye.